Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program provided by Living Stream Ministry. During his ministry, Witness Lee emphasized the experience of Christ as life and the practical oneness of the believers. He was unbending in his conviction that God's goal is the body of Christ. Through his messages, he stressed the importance for us to grow in life and to function as Christians so that the body can build itself up. We're happy to bring you recorded portions from his ministry today, along with some of our own thoughts. And we welcome your comments and questions. You can reach us toll-free at 888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Now let's join today's program. The book of Revelation has always been mysterious throughout the centuries. Great theological discussions and debates over how to interpret it and understand the end times have been continuous throughout the course of church history. While most people assume that it's primarily a book of prophecy concerning the end times and the Lord's coming, if we only approach it from this perspective, we may well miss its most important function. We are at the midpoint of our radio life study of Revelation. But today, we're going to pause and review what we covered in the first 11 chapters of Revelation, and then look forward to what's ahead in the next 11 chapters. And Ron Kangas is here to help us with this unique program. Hi, Ron. Hi. I'll see what I can contribute to this particular kind of program. Ron, uh, I said unique regarding our program today because we're not going to cover a particular or specific message in Witness Lee's life study of Revelation, but rather it will be both a review and a look forward. And I'd like to begin today by recalling how the book of Revelation itself, open chapter 1, begins not as the revelation of end-time events, but the revelation of Jesus Christ. Ron, that's a striking way to begin a book that most people feel is mainly about prophecies and miraculous events in the future. This is the way the book begins, but from years and years of study and observation, we have the ground to point out that for vast numbers of believers, the expression, the revelation of Jesus Christ, has very little effect, if any at all. Once they find out that chapters in this book speak of a beast from the sea, or another beast from the land, or frogs, or locusts, or horrific calamities. That's what fascinates them. That's what occupies them. And then many go on based, understandably, on the fact that the book is a prophecy, that they try to ascertain where we are in relation to the fulfillment of prophecies. Oh, could this be the Antichrist emerging over here? Or was this the start of the Great Tribulation over there? It's really sad. It's pathetically sad. Let's come back. The revelation of Jesus 
Christ. It's focused on a person. I wonder how many have done a careful reading of the book of Revelation, tracing the various aspects of this wonderful Lord Jesus Christ revealed throughout the book. The person, to a very large extent, is set aside by readers that are concerned with spectacular events and strange prophetic symbols. We don't deny, rather we strongly affirm, the prophetic element. The book identifies itself as a prophecy. But let's recall the verse toward the end that says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit, the essence of the prophecy. The general subject of the book of Revelation is not a beast from the ocean. It's not locusts from the abyss. It is Christ on the throne, who is referred to as the lion, as the lamb, as the one uniquely qualified to open the seals. The subject of the book of Revelation is Christ as the center of God's governmental administration. Everything recorded in this book should be understood in relation to the enthroned Christ, the one commissioned by God to carry out his administration. And this note is sounded from the very beginning, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Before too many verses later, you have an awesome unveiling of the Lord Jesus as the Son of Man. And the impact of that revelation on the Apostle John was that he fell at the Lord's feet as one dead. Then the Lord spoke concerning himself, that I am the living one. I became dead. Behold, I am living forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. This is an unveiling of the person, and we will emphasize this again and again. In faithfulness to the Lord, and out of a loving concern for fellow believers, that we would adjust our focus and center on the Christ revealed in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Ron, I think a good way to begin any review is with a summary. And for our summary today, we'll call on Witness Lee. This is the only segment that will feature him today. And it's a short clip that comes from a program we aired recently, and I want to replay it. And in it, he recounts how in 1933, as a rather young man, he was with Watchman Nee in Shanghai. And a number of the young people in the church there asked Watchman Nee to conduct a study on Revelation. It's particularly interesting to hear Brother Nee's prerequisite for those young people, including Witness Lee, before he would agree to have the study. If you are going to understand the prophecy of this book, you must have a clear view. 1933, I was staying in Shanghai. A number of young people were asking Brother Ni 
to have the study on Revelation again. Brother Nee somewhat uh, promised to do this. He asked us in this way. He said, you have to read and study the book of Revelation until you know all the facts. You can recite all the facts. Chapter 1 is on what? Chapter 2 and chapter 3 on what? Let me try it. Chapter 1, John saw the seven lambs and with Christ walking among them. Then 2, 3, the seven churches, right? And 4, the heavenly scene. And 5, Christ came in as the worthy one to open this school. And then chapter 6, you have the uh, first six seals. Then chapter 7, you have the first insertion of the two visions of God, two peoples. Then chapter 8, you have first four trumpets. In chapter 9, you have the fifth, sixth trumpet. Then chapter 10, Christ coming to take possession of the earth. And chapter 11, the two witnesses. And chapter 12, the mantle. And chapter 13, the bees. And chapter 14, the first food and the uh, worship of the beast and the harvest and the uh, wine price. And chapter 15, this overcoming ones on the glossy sea in chapter 16. This, you have all the six bulls in chapter 17, the great Babylon, and the chapter 18, the physical, political Babylon, and then chapter 19, the uh, uh, wedding of the Lamb, and then chapter 20, you have the millennial kingdom. After that, you have chapter 21, 22, the new Jerusalem in the new heaven and new earth. Well, this is the book of Revelation. You have to get in there. Ron, that's a tremendous uh, summary or overview of all 22 chapters. But important to what we want to accomplish today is to see again that these are not just 22 consecutive chapters sequentially, but rather they're divided into two sections, each of 11 chapters. Let's talk about the first section. What do the first 11 chapters present to us, Ron? Let's look first at the beginning and then to a crucial matter toward the end. The book begins with the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then toward the end of chapter 11, you have this marvelous declaration, the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. That's a culminating declaration. So that marks the beginning and the end of this portion. So we see the basic content is first an unveiling of the Son of Man himself, then the Lord speaking to the messengers of the seven churches. That's in chapters 2 and 3. Then we have the revelation of a throne set in heaven. And thereafter, that word throne will be used repeatedly. Revelation is a book of the throne. There's a vision of the throne and of God on the throne. Then in chapter 5, we see the Lamb, our Redeemer, who is also identified as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is on the throne. He is the administrator. And there is a scroll sealed with seven seals. No one is qualified to open it except the enthroned, glorified Son of Man, Lamb of God, Lion of the tribe of Judah. 
Then he begins to open the seals. He begins to open the seals of the scroll. And with each opening, there's a particular unveiling of the four horses, then the prayers of the martyred saints, then the beginning of calamities, followed by supernatural calamities, originating with the righteous God, who now, at the right time, is vindicating his righteousness by a righteous judgment on the earth. In chapter 9, we have the abyss opened. We have the emergence of Antichrist. In chapter 10, we have the Lord Jesus coming as another angel to possess the earth. Then, as we mentioned in chapter 11, we have a tremendous dispensational change when all the earthly kingdoms become the kingdom of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we have here is a general yet complete view of the events recorded in Revelation. Chapters 12 through 22 should not be understood as a continuation in a sequential way of what took place in chapter 11. Rather, in those second 11 chapters, we have details related to what's revealed in the first 11 chapters. Then, of course, at the very end, in chapters 21 and 22, we have the ultimate and consummate revelation of the whole Bible, the new Jerusalem, the wife of the Lamb, therefore a corporate person, descending out of heaven from God. There is a new heaven and a new earth. But what we're emphasizing here in pointing out the two sections, the first from chapters 1 through 11 is a general overall picture. The second section, chapters 12 through 22, gives details of many of the matters mentioned in the first 11 chapters. This is our understanding of the book of Revelation. This is what is in the life study of Revelation. And this is what we're emphasizing in this program devoted to a kind of review of crucial points covered thus far. Ron, in our previous programs, uh, the matter of the Great Tribulation has come up, and surely this is one of the big events. I think all students of the Bible and even most casual readers have heard something about the Tribulation. Let's talk about it. When does it occur? How long will it last? And then, of course, the big question, will believers be on the earth going through and experiencing this great suffering, the Great Tribulation? In order to understand this according to the Bible, we need to refer to Daniel chapter 9, where you have a prophecy concerning what's called the 70 weeks, and those are weeks of years. So a week equals seven years. There is a gap in time between week 69 and week 70. How long this gap is, we do not know, but it's lasted for about 2,000 years already. 
certain events will take place, especially when Israel enters into a covenant with a great European leader related to the rebuilding of the temple. That will mark the beginning of the 70th week. A common misunderstanding is that that's when the Great Tribulation begins and that the Tribulation will last seven years. That is not correct. The first three and a half years will not be the time of the Great Tribulation, but just before we reach the midpoint, the overcomers will be raptured, there will be the war in heaven, the devil will be cast down to the earth, Antichrist will be manifested, he will demand to be worshipped in the temple that has been rebuilt. That will mark the beginning of the Great Tribulation. You ask how long it will last? The answer, three and a half years. That's the length of time. The question was raised, will there be believers on the earth during that time? Yes, there will be. We're fully aware of the constant, ongoing, often petty debates over the nature of the rapture and when it will take place. Some insist all believers, no matter how they're living, they may be living in gross sin, but they will all be taken away. There'll be no believers on the earth. That isn't true. In Revelation 14, we have mention of the first fruits. These are the living overcomers, the victorious believers that have matured to the point where they can be raptured to the throne of God, to the presence of the Son of Man, as mentioned by the Lord himself in Luke 21, relying again on the metaphor of harvesting the crop. Most of the crop isn't ready. That refers to most of the living believers who are not yet mature. They will, in fact, pass through almost all of the great tribulation. This is not an item of the faith. This is our best understanding of the prophetic word in the scriptures. This is what we present. But there's a very practical side to this. I say this hypothetically because we believe this is correct. If it is correct to say that only a small percentage of the living believers will be raptured before the tribulation, doesn't this have a profound effect on the lives of millions of believers, especially those who have been deceived, we say, quite frankly, into thinking, don't worry, doesn't matter how you live, whether you love the Lord or not, whether you're faithful in serving him or not, long as you got saved, you'll be spared. When they wake up and realize certain ones are no longer here, but the vast majority are here, their life will drastically change. So underlying and related to this truth concerning the tribulation, the believers being in the tribulation, is something that potentially will affect the lives of millions of believers. And I can testify and we can testify how this teaching has affected our present life with the Lord. 
It motivates us to love him more, to seek him more earnestly, to pray more definitely, that we will grow in life to maturity, arriving at a full-grown man, to use Paul's expression from Ephesians 4, and be among those that are raptured just before the Great Tribulation starts. So we present this matter, we can discuss the matter, but we won't enter into pointless debate about it. The believers have different views, let them have different views, but let's remember, we call this program Life Study. It's not merely doctrinal study. It's a study of the Word related to the experience of Christ as life. And we are just as much burdened for both truth, the real meaning of the Scriptures, and life, Christ increasing in us for the glory of God. Ron, you've, you've touched a number of very important things here. Um, let's develop this apparent paradox. You mentioned that there will be believers that go through the tribulation. Yet we have the implicit promise that we saw in the letter to the church in Philadelphia, a promise for believers, specifically overcoming believers, to escape these things. Tell us again, Ron, because this is so crucial. What is it to be an overcomer? In other words, who will qualify for this promise? Okay, let's be reminded that this is the Lord speaking to a particular church in a particular situation among God's people toward the end of this age. Now, who will be among the overcomers? What is an overcomer? In the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, there are two proper ways of viewing this. In 1 John, the Apostle John speaks in a general way about all believers who have faith overcome the world. This is what overcomes the world, our faith. So in that general sense, all the believers may overcome the world through faith. Many Bible teachers, including some of the most highly regarded in this present age, apply this general understanding to the overcomers mentioned repeatedly by the Lord Jesus in the book of Revelation. It is the Lord himself who speaks seven times to the churches, to the one who overcomes. He doesn't say you all will overcome. Among the believers, some will be victorious. That's the meaning of an overcomer. And many will not. And there is a context for this speaking regarding overcomers. And in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, that context is the churches, especially the churches in degradation, signified by Thyatira, by Sardis, by Laodicea. So to overcome in Revelation, that is the living and the action of particular believers. Among all the believers, these are the ones who receive the reward. So the Lord says in one place that he will be the bright morning star to the believers that are watching for him. But sorry to say, many more believers 
are looking around for Antichrist than there are eagerly awaiting the glimmer of Christ as the morning star. Once again, this teaching that we're presenting about overcomers has two sides. There's the side of what we consider truly to be an accurate and truthful exposition of the Scriptures. On the other hand, this matter of overcomers is related to the Christian life. If someone takes in the easy teaching, oh, don't worry, every believer is an overcomer in the book of Revelation, even though the Lord is speaking to all the believers and calling for overcomers from among them, some are stupefied, sorry to say this, drugged by a certain religious influence, I regret to say, they just say everything is fine, I'll be an overcomer. Well, if they reject this teaching, it may have the effect of weakening their pursuit of the Lord. And they will be shocked when they find themselves in the situation and the real overcomers are gone and they remain in the tribulation. So if we are correct, I say hypothetically, because I believe surely we are, if we are correct that there are overcomers among the believers in Revelation, and only they will receive their reward, and only they will be raptured before the tribulation, This teaching has a very profound and practical effect on our Christian life. So we would ask, like the words of a hymn we are fond of singing, Will you be an overcomer? Will you make this choice? Christ is calling. Listen to his voice. This is not simply a matter of Bible exposition. This is a vital matter of the Christian life, especially in these last days. Well, Ron, thank you so much for carrying the major burden of this review program today. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you remember our toll-free number and how much we'd appreciate hearing from you at this midway point in the Life Study of Revelation. It's 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. We've been talking now in most every program about the chart of the end times that we have available for you. It's included in the recovery version and the life studies of Revelation. So many other resources also from Daniel and Matthew and uh, all these books that touch the matters of the great prophecies. You can find out about all of that by calling or sending an email to us, radio at lsm.org. That's all the time we have today. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wilde. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Whether you're hearing this program via radio, online, or as a podcast, you'll find hundreds of audio studies just like this one by visiting our website, lsmradio.com. We also hope you'll email us with your questions or comments, radio at lsm.org, or call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. 
That's 888-543-3788. Thanks for listening.